0: Genesis chapter 42. We'll be looking at the chapter. You'll remember that God had raised Joseph in a foreign land. What land? The land of Egypt, right? And he puts Joseph in charge of the land under Pharaoh so that all the nations would not be destroyed. They would not die, but live. They would have grain because there was the seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine, and they were, the seven years of famine had begun, and uh, Pharaoh had told people, go to Joseph, he has the grain, and he was now uh, selling the grain that had been stored up, not only to Egyptians, but also to people from other lands, because this famine did not only afflict Egypt, but as we'll see, especially in this chapter, also afflicted Canaan, Uh, and this was uh, not always common. Sometimes there would be famines just on Canaan. People would go to Egypt because there was still food there, and sometimes there might be famine in Egypt, but still food in Canaan. But this time, it affected multiple lands, and it's only because grain had been stored up under Joseph that these people lived. But God had done this not only for the nations, but had also done this toward the fulfillment of the dreams that he had sent Joseph as a 17-year-old back home in his early days, and also for the good of Israel's household, to sustain them and to reconcile them. So let's read chapter 42 as we pick up now with what was happening with Joseph's brothers and how they would meet Joseph. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, "'Why do you look at one another?' And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. And, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill the bags with grain and to replace each man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back here. It is in the mouth of the sack of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man The Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put them in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead. And he is the only one I he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shale. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your word and your faithfulness and in recounting these things that we might uh, be built up and have hope. We pray that you would cause our minds to rightly use and to take hold of your word by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen this portion of Genesis is tightly connected with each other. The chapters are kind of long and they're not really as distinct as uh say the in the life of Abraham where you have one account about him going down to Egypt and then another story about the uh the the kings fighting in the land and then another one about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean certainly those are all connected to each other and they form the life of of one man but Uh, The story of Joseph, especially here as we get into chapters 42, 43, 44, it's hard to stop uh, because it ends on a rather inconclusive note uh, that the brothers are being tested and the test is not over. But that's a long enough passage for us to look at today. Um, Joseph finally meets his brothers. It's been, in his life, 22 years or so that he had seen his brothers. That's why his brothers don't recognize him. He's no longer a teenager. He's now not only a man 22 years later, but he's also dressed now as an Egyptian, uh, probably with a totally different appearance. And they also don't expect to see him as the Lord of the land. Um, And they don't recognize him. Now, they haven't changed as much. Joseph recognizes them and Thus, he has a certain advantage. He has a certain position that God's providence had brought him to uh, that he might use in seeking reconciliation with his brothers. I think there's two general themes or lessons that we can take from this passage. Probably lots of things we could learn. But uh, first of all, like Joseph, to seek reconciliation with your brothers or with those who have sinned against you fearing God, and showing mercy. You know, Joseph could have simply destroyed his brothers. He had a position now. He could have said, you brothers sold me into slavery. Off to prison with all of you, and I'll, I'll leave you there to rot. Right? He, he could have simply avenged himself, put them to death even. But instead, he tested them. He worked towards possible reconciliation with them. He sought their their repentance and restoration. So that is one example that we have in this passage to follow. Uh, Secondly, as his brothers would learn to do, learn to humble yourself under the hand of God with conviction of sin, grief for sin, and repentance, the type of grief that leads to repentance. They could have been proud and bitter and greedy, when they encountered these difficulties. They could have been indignant at this ill treatment in the land of Egypt. They could have been bitter against this lord of the land and resentful. They could have been greedy and just taken the money and left their brother, right? There have been a lot of bad responses that could have been met with. But instead, they see God's hand at work. They humble themselves. They are contrite. Like I said, it's not over by the end of this passage, but they are on their way uh, to reconciliation with Joseph. Uh, They are being worked upon uh, by God. We'll take this piece by piece. Let's first look at the first five verses, which set up what is about to take place. The famine, as we have seen, reached even to Canaan. And so Jacob sent 10 of his sons to buy grain in Egypt. Uh, They needed to live and not die. Jacob had concern for Benjamin, so he didn't send his youngest son, but he sent the ten sons so that they would be able to go down securely and bring back plenty of grain for their households. Notice there's multiple households at this time, although they live together in a society, kind of a proto-nation here, as Jacob sends them down for their common good to get grain. Uh, But again, these are grown up now, uh, men and their what, 30s or 40s, have wives and children, maybe grandchildren even, in the case of Judah, at least. And they need grain because the famine had afflicted Canaan. Yeah, probably all, all in, almost all in their 40s by this point, um, or very late 30s. God was working to save the sons of Israel, physically, but also spiritually, providentially, supplying them with grain. Why did they have grain? Because God had sent Joseph on ahead. But also providing for their repentance, uh, for their conversion, and for their sanctification. They had exhibited very bad fruit up until this point, or at least in the earlier days, with Simeon and Levi destroying the men of Shechem, of Judah, as we saw going astray for a while, although we saw in the account of Judah that he came to uh to confess his guilt and humble himself uh, in the meantime, but God was working to save the sons of Israel, for these were to be, in the end, the heads of the tribes of the people of God. God had worked on them in the meantime, as we saw with Judah, and he would work on them through this interaction with Joseph. So why did God send the famine upon the world? Joseph doesn't tell Pharaoh, you've done this great and awful thing, and that's why the famine is coming upon them. Of course, it would have been a great time for Egypt to humble itself under the hand of God. But what what is the reason, at least one reason for this famine, was to reunite Joseph with his brothers. God sent a famine upon Canaan and Egypt and all the nations, all the known earth at that time, at least as far as they knew. Why? So that he would be faithful to his covenant and that he would care for his people. God is working out his purposes in the course of history, and he has a special eye on his people, on his church, working all things together for their good. He is faithful to his covenant, and he is the one who is in control of all things, is the one who is sustaining his people bound to him by a covenant of grace. And that's still true today. We can take heart that Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has also been made head of all rule and authority, and that he is guiding the affairs of the earth for the good of his kingdom and for his church. Jacob also tells his sons, why do you look at one another? Why are you just, you can picture them at the dinner table, why are you just staring at each other looking at how little food there is on the table? Why are you just sitting there? You should do something about it. You should go down and buy grain. He spurs them on to action. Take action that you might live and not die. Take, and this is a good message for you and me too, right? Why are you just sitting there looking at each other? Uh, take responsibility to sustain the life of yourself and your neighbor. Uh, the doctrine of providence does not support fatalistic passivity. You know That what will be will be and therefore I am going to do nothing and just see what will happen but it's united with the, at the same time with taking responsibility. Seek out the grain that God has providentially provided for you in Egypt, in this case. Why do you look at one another? Well, in verses 6 through 17, find the second part where Joseph meets his brothers. His brothers arrive with many others who are coming from the land of Canaan to find grain in Egypt. They bowed themselves with their faces down to the ground before Joseph. And what does that remind Joseph of, as he recognizes who they are? Had he seen things bow down to him before? Do you remember his dreams? The, what were they even in the dreams? The first dream was grain, right? Stocks of grain, <laughs> and the stalks of the brothers were bowing down to to his stalks, his bundles, his bundle of grain. Well, now here were his brothers, at least 10 of them, literally bowing down themselves before him. The thing they thought was preposterous had been worked about by God's providence, and Joseph was seeing it at last taking place before his eyes. He remembered his dreams of them. this had been God's plan all along, and now it had been, at least it was coming to pass. It was beginning to come to pass. His father wasn't there. Remember, the moon and the sun were also eventually to come to him. But he saw that these dreams had not been in vain. Now, Joseph did not make himself known to them. He interrogated them as suspected spies. He's breaking them down by his continual accusations. You are spies. No, it is, as I say, you are spies. You are spies. But at the same time, by this method, he's getting information out of them. He's learning about their brother, Benjamin, his father, Jacob, What's been going on in the 22 years? He doesn't destroy them, but neither does he make himself known to them. He, as a man of wisdom, is going to seek to test them, and also, if need be, uh, convict them, bring them to a place of reconciliation. Now, they plead their innocence, and I think there's a bit of a double meaning here, where they say, we are honest men, And Joseph's not so sure that they're honest men. Of course, to an outsider, it might look that they're just talking about being spies or not. But of course, from Joseph's perspective, he's not just concerned with them about being spies. He's concerned about whether they truly are honest men. Are they the same type of men that he last saw where they were selling him into slavery and lying to their father about it? Or had they changed? Would they change? Well, so he says, I'm setting up a test for you. You know, what what motives do we find explicitly in the text? Well, it's kind of through this double meaning. He says, by this I will know. I will test you if you bring back your brother. Um, Not simply to test whether they were spies or not. He kind of knew that that wasn't the case. But to test whether they were repentant. It was a test in more than one way. Then he put them all in prison for three days. They all got a taste of being held Prisoner in Egypt, as he had been first in the pit in Canaan and then in the prison in Egypt. Joseph wanted to see Benjamin. In parts, he probably simply wanted to see Benjamin, but also he wanted to see how his brothers treated him, and perhaps also he wanted to see if their father would entrust Benjamin to their care. Joseph tested his brothers to see if they had repented and perhaps to move them towards repentance. Now, I have mentioned that Joseph was a type of Christ, that he foreshadows Christ, that we we learn about what Christ was going to do as as through an image of what Joseph had done, that Joseph's ascension from the pit to the palace was similar to Christ's resurrection and ascension to his father's right hand that as Joseph rose to give bread to the nations, so Christ rose to give himself as the bread of life to the world. Well, what did Jesus do after his ascension? Remember how Jesus had been betrayed and handed over by his brethren, brethren the children of Israel? What did he do then once he was on the Father's right hand? He sent his spirit upon his disciples. What's the message they proclaimed? Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus sent a message of conviction and salvation to those who had betrayed him, to those who had handed him over to be crucified. Like Joseph, he sought reconciliation with sinners. As the apostles would proclaim, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Jesus uh, would give opportunity for salvation, even as Joseph did as well. May you also imitate Joseph and our Lord, seeking the good of those who have sinned against you, not giving way to bitterness and revenge. That doesn't mean reconciliation is simple. Joseph did not take a simple approach. He moved slowly and carefully towards reconciliation. Trust would not be rebuilt overnight. He exercised wisdom. He sought to persuade them of their guilt. He had certain advantage. You might not find yourself in the position of Joseph. You might not have this kind of authority and the fact that you know them and they don't know you. You know, something's unique about the situation, the opportunities he had, but he seeks to persuade them of their guilt. He seeks to see true repentance and change that he might embrace them freely and forgive them and them him and that relationship being restored. And so seek that as your goal as well, being ready to forgive and to embrace using wisdom, but being ready to reconcile with those who have sinned against you. Well, he leaves them in prison for three days. In verses 18 through 25, We find that he returns to them. He doesn't leave them in prison forever, like he had felt like he had been left in prison forever. Instead he just comes three days later and he releases most of them. At first he was just gonna send one of them back, but it turns out he left uh, he only left one with him and, and let the others go back. A little change of plans. Joseph says, I fear God. Well that should have been a comfort right? In many of the Gentile nations, they would think that there's no fear of God in this place. We can't trust them to do what is right, especially this powerful man. Who's going to restrain him from doing whatever he wants? Well, the fear of God would. Joseph feared God and desired that they would live. Here, I'm giving you a, a way to live, to prove yourselves, to be innocent. He also changed the test. Releasing all but one. Why? So that they might all bring back grain. It was for their good. They might carry more grain back by releasing the nine of them instead of only releasing one of them. He showed mercy to them and sought reconciliation. Why? Because he feared God. In the face of this, they privately confessed their guilt to one another. They recognized that they were guilty concerning what they did to their brother Joseph. And that it was because of that that these things were happening to them. That they had not listened to his pleas for mercy. Now we learn a little bit more of what was going on when Joseph was being thrown into the pit. We didn't really hear much about what Joseph was thinking or saying. But here we have a little insight how Joseph was crying out to his brothers, begging them that they might release him. And they had been deaf to those cries. They had not listened to them. And now they were not being listened to. Now distress had come upon them. And they saw the justice of it. They humbled themselves. They didn't know that Joseph could understand them, but Joseph hears them and he weeps. He is moved, emotionally moved by what he hears. They're making progress on the path to restoration. Well then Joseph takes Simeon from them and binds them before their eyes. As one commentator says, the detention of Simeon serves two purposes. First, he acts as a hostage, encouraging the other brothers to produce Benjamin. Second, his detention replicates in some ways Joseph's detention in Egypt. It poses his brothers with a similar temptation. Will they abandon Simeon as they abandoned Joseph? Think how many parallels there are here. Jacob had once sent Joseph to them. Now Jacob had sent them to Joseph, unwittingly. They had not listened to his pleas for mercy. Now he did not listen to their pleas for mercy for a time. They had seen the distress of Joseph's soul. Now distress had come upon them. Joseph had probably been bound before their eyes as they sold him into slavery. Now Simeon was bound before their eyes. Joseph had become a slave and then a prisoner in Egypt now Simeon would be left in an Egyptian prison. Money had been given to them for Joseph. Remember the, the 20 pieces of silver? Now money would be given to them, even as they lost Simeon. Because they find the money that they had brought to buy the grain with put back in their sacks. And they find that out after they leave Egypt. What's this money doing here? Well, just as they had had money, In exchange for Joseph. The brothers perceive these things. They make the connection. They see the hand of providence. They experience conviction of sin and grief. Was this godly grief leading to repentance? Joseph did not know quite yet, but of course we'll see that it was. Joseph was emotionally moved to see their contrition for their callousness towards his previous pleas for mercy. So learn from these passages, first of all, to fear God and to show mercy as Joseph did. Joseph walked in the fear of God. He feared God and therefore he turned away from evil in the house of Potiphar. He feared God and therefore he gave God glory in the house of Pharaoh. He feared God and therefore he showed mercy to his brothers, giving them a way to live. Because of the fear of God, he would not abuse his vast powers. It's a comfort when powerful men fear God, that they might be restrained. Fear God yourself. I don't mean fear God like an outlaw who seeks to escape from him, terrified, but to fear God, having been reconciled to him with childlike reverence, with humility, with honor and worship, reverence and awe before God, taking him seriously, treating him as as weighty, as the one to whom mercy needs to be sought from, that he is the one who is most important above all other considerations, for he is great. Let it direct you the way you treat others. And like Joseph's brothers, humble yourself under the hand of God. They had a different kind of fear of God as they were brought to conviction and as they would learn forgiveness in time. Rather than being indignant or bitter at hardship, to be humble, to confess your sins. Not all trials are because of particular sins, but whenever you meet with distress, it's good to humble yourself before God, to examine yourself, to confess any sins that you find, to seek his mercy. God may be correcting you. Look upon your sin; it is true light that you might turn from it with grief and hatred for your sin. God can use your circumstances to put your sin in a clearer light, even as they saw their sin in a clearer light as they experienced some of the things they had imposed on Joseph. In the final passage in this chapter, we find that the brothers return to Joseph. Sorry, return to Jacob. They return to Canaan. They tell their father what happened. They find the money in their sacks. They explicitly mention God. What is God doing to us that this money reappears? God has done this. They're unable to convince their father to let them have Benjamin. And what, fa- what their father says, perhaps even unintentionally, probably serves to convict them even more. You have bereaved me of my children. You know, Joseph disappeared when he was with his brothers. Simeon now has disappeared while he was with their brothers. I don't know how much Jacob suspects that their brothers had something to do with it, but at least he realizes that if I send Benjamin with you now, this is, gonna, this is uncertain. What's going to happen to him? But they know the truth, that it was because of them that Joseph was lost. They, lit, they did bereave him of Joseph, now, Reuben makes an attempt, a rather poor attempt, to convince his father, oh, you can kill my two sons if Benjamin gets killed, as if that would make it better. Would he want to kill his grandsons? That, that wouldn't satisfy him. We'll find something uh, a little better in the next chapter. But they're unable, and they stay there in Canaan for the time being. Now, the, the money reappeared. What was the significance of the money reappearing? Why were they afraid? Why do you think they were afraid? Why do you think their father was afraid when they saw the money still in their sacks might the appearance of the money have made it look like the brothers sold their brother for the grain how do they still have the money they have all this grain but they're missing a brother maybe they didn't trade the money for the grain maybe they traded their brother for the grain maybe they wanted to do the same with benjamin yes give us another brother that we might get more grain that doesn't look very good or at the very least with them having the money and the grain, it could make the Egyptians hostile to them, that they stole this grain without paying for it. How were they gonna get Simeon back with that hostility? It only made them look more like spies if they stole the grain from the Egyptians. Could endanger Simeon, could endanger Benjamin if they brought him back. Perhaps that's another reason why Jacob doesn't wanna send Benjamin. So they're afraid, they see this money, what, if they feel like they're being ensnared What is God doing to them? Well, learn from Jacob's lament. He had had a rough time of it. All had seemed to be against him. All these things that had happened to him. He lost Joseph. Then he lost lost Simeon. Now was he going to lose Benjamin too? Much loss and sorrow after a lifetime of many things that had happened to him. And yet all these things were actually working for his good. Losing Joseph was going, is what sustained him so that he didn't die in the famine. Losing Simeon was good for him because his sons were going to be reconciled. All these things were actually working for his good. Joseph was at that moment not lost, but governor of Egypt. God was moving, in fact, heaven and earth, the nations, for Jacob's good at that very moment. But J- Jacob did not see that yet, and he wept. That's often the case for you and me. You experience loss or hardship, and it seems like it's all against you, but God is working all things for the good of his people, for your good. God has a special eye upon his covenant people, so remember that when all seems to be against you. Now, the chapter ends on an inconclusive note. I've mentioned that. It's a cliffhanger. It's not the end of the story. The story's not done. The test was still ongoing. What would the brothers do Would they go back to Simeon? Would they convince their father to bring Benjamin back? Would they walk in the fear of the Lord as changed men? Or would they treat Simeon as they had treated Joseph? Consider yourself. Where are you at? Are you suppressing your guilt? Or are you lingering with a guilty conscience? Or have you confessed your guilt, sorrowed for your sin? Turn from it to God with full purpose of new obedience. In other words, repent. Let godly grief produce in you earnestness to clear yourself, to make things right, to more and more practice that which is pleasing in the sight of your Savior. Having repented, in other words, bear fruit with repentance. Prove your repentance by its fruit, by its consequence take heart that the Savior holds forgiveness freely forth to those who receive him. It's a gift. He does not seek your destruction, but rather your sanctification for your good. He calls you to a new life of repentance, a whole life of repentance, to put off the ways of the old self and to put on the ways of the new, being renewed after the image of your creator. So humble yourself under the hand of God. Fear God. Seek his mercy and then show mercy to others. Seek restoration and reconciliation. And take heart that Joseph foreshadowed the son of God himself who came to save sinners and to receive them as his brothers. Let's pray.